Hi, precious friends. We're so glad you could be joining us today. We've been talking about prayer. And in our first session, we looked at powerful answers to prayer that are recorded for us in the scriptures. Prayers that God has given us as examples of how to pray. And we're aware that the people who prayed those prayers were ordinary people like us, but they were people who believed God, who obeyed God, who were accessible to God. And so God used them and God has used their prayers to show us some things about how to pray. In our second session, we saw that God wants us to pray. Now, there are a lot of things about that we don't understand. Uh, we can't explain it. But for some reason, God in His sovereignty has chosen to use us, to use His people. And so we saw an occasion in the life of Israel where prayer held back God's judgment when Moses interceded for the people of God, for the nation. But then we saw an occasion in the life of Judah where God looked for someone to pray. He looked for someone to stand in the gap and he couldn't find anybody. And when he didn't, then judgment came to Judah because God could not find someone to stand in the gap. In God's sovereign purpose, he has chosen to use the prayers of his children to be a conduit to move his power from heaven to earth. We are a part of that plan. We are workers together with him. Prayer is both a privilege and a responsibility. We are commanded to pray and God waits for us to pray. He wants to intervene in our lives with his redemptive purposes in our world. The purpose of prayer is to participate in releasing the power of God to accomplish the purposes of God. That's what he is about doing in the world. And he's chosen to make us a part of that. So when we're in prayer, we discover God's will. And when we discover God's will, we pray accordingly. It's not, prayer's not about obligating God to do our will. It is about our buying into what his will is and making ourselves available to be a part of his accomplishing that will. So in prayer, we make ourselves available for God's purposes. God chooses to use his people. We can talk to him about it when we get to heaven, but that's the plan. That's the way he has chosen to use us to pray. So we are to learn how to let him pour his own desires into our hearts and make his desires our desires. Part of prayer is coming into unity with the heart of God and praying accordingly and listening to him to see what it is he wants us to pray, what it is he wants to accomplish, what is on his mind and on his heart. We need powerful prayer today. We need powerful prayers. We need people who can have power with God and who can pray powerful prayers. God promises all believers that if we live righteously and pray fervently, our prayers will be effective and they will produce significant results. James chapter five, verse 16, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man 
or a righteous person avails much. God's word says that prayer ought to accomplish much. But maybe we say, well, well, I do pray, but nothing happens. Or I've never seen a lot happen. If we are praying, but not seeing much accomplished, does that mean that scripture is unrealistic or that the promise is not true or somehow God got it wrong when he put it in his word? Or does it mean that we need to examine ourselves to see if we meet the conditions for powerful prayer? Let's take some time to look at things that hinder our prayers. Hindrances to prayers. That's our topic for today. What are some obstacles to powerful prayer? What are things that we encounter that keep us from praying or that keep us from praying powerfully? First thing I listed is ignorance. Ignorance. Don't take offense to that. It's just that many times we don't really know about the power available to us through our position in Christ. We don't know and understand the power that he's given to us as his children to work with him, to bring his power to the earth. We just haven't learned that yet. Nobody told us. Maybe we haven't encountered it in God's word yet, but we just don't really know. Or we may not know the specific qualifications that God has given for prayer to be heard and answered. All of those things are in his word. So number one is ignorance. Second hindrance, number two, is human nature. Human nature. Our own flesh will fight us tooth and nail. Our own flesh is not comfortable with the work that prayer is. Prayer is work. It is wearisome. And the flesh is not wanting to discipline itself to practice serious, dedicated prayer. In serious, dedicated prayer, time is involved. There are distractions and interruptions. Maybe you and your prayer time have been there and done that. There are doubts and fears and questions. And we may conclude that it's just not easy to pray. And so we just don't want to do it. It's just too much trouble. It's too hard. And so the flesh cries out for its own fulfillment. And remember that once we become believers, there's going to be warfare between the flesh and the spirit of God that is within us. And so that's what happens sometimes in human nature. You know, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, just hours before his crucifixion, it was an urgent time. I cannot imagine um, the pressure that the Lord Jesus felt in those hours. And if there ever was a critical time for his closest friends to be undergirding him in prayer, that would have been it. That was the time that he needed them. And he said, will you watch and pray with me? Will you not watch and pray with me for one hour? Well, Jesus told the disciples that he was deeply distressed, even to the point of death. But at the most pivotal point in human history, they fell asleep three times. They let their flesh rule 
over their spirit. Would we have done the same thing? Probably. We don't need to point too many fingers here because sometimes prayer just did not, requires a denial of physical needs and of comfort and of safety. And we have to make that choice, but we have to learn that that is a part of maybe the warfare of prayer or the warfare against our human nature. So we must learn to choose the spirit to rule over our flesh. The third hindrance is Satan himself, Satan. The enemy and his highly organized system of powers of darkness will do everything in their power to squelch a believer's ability to pray effectively. They know that prayer brings God's power to earth and they can't stand it. And so they are going to be busy trying to prevent that from happening. But, there's a big but here, but he cannot if we do not allow it. How do I know that? Because 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The fourth hindrance that I've listed is prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. Well, prayerlessness is a hindrance because we learn to pray by praying. And when we don't pray, we don't learn. So prayerlessness is a hindrance. Number five, lack of persistence and perseverance in prayer. Lack of persistence and perseverance in prayer. Turn with me, if you will, just for a minute to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 and beginning in verse 5. And I will read through verse 13. And he, Jesus, said to them, Suppose one of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves or three pieces of bread. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I don't have anything to set before him. And from inside, he shall answer and say, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And I say to you, ask and keep on asking that's the original language. Ask and keep on asking, and it shall be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and ye shall find. Knock and keep on knocking, and it shall be open to you. For everyone who asks and keeps on asking, receives and keeps on seeking, uh, seeks and uh, who, everyone who asks and keeps on asking receives. And he who seeks and keeps on seeking finds. And to him who knocks and keeps on knocking, it shall be opened. Now, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. Will he give him a snake instead of a fish? No. Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, granted, that passage is a whole lesson in itself, but let's just talk about it for a minute in light of persistence in prayer. All the man wanted was three pieces of bread. Now, the first thing that that tells us is that even our simplest prayer is not insignificant to God. He chose something very insignificant here to say, here's an example. Here's an example of prayer that I hear. And then, uh, you know, so many times in our lives, we, we've talked to people, we've heard people, maybe there was a time in our lives when we felt like there were some things just too trivial to ask God for. He's too big. He's too busy with that. He doesn't care about that. No, no, no. And so Jesus shows us something right here that even though we might feel that it is trivial to us, it's not trivial to him. And so persistence here, the word persistence is interesting. This Bible says persistence. I believe the King James Bible says importunity. What in the world is that? It is shamelessness, shamelessness. This fellow shamelessly went to the neighbor's house and asked and kept on asking and knocked and kept on knocking and sought and kept on seeking. And so God calls on us for aggressive prayer. And so what he's doing here in this parable is that he's giving us permission to, to, to give him bold, shameless interruptions. He has invited us to boldly come before his throne of grace. And so God invites us to come into his presence asking and seeking and knocking. Now, each one of those things is more aggressive than the previous one. Asking, we can ask. A little bit more aggressively, we can seek. And even more aggressively, we can knock. Bang. And so God is not offended by that. And that's part of the lesson that we see in this parable. Another thing we see here is that God is a loving father. And he says, you know what? If you, and the, the term here is evil, he's just saying, you people who are sinful, uh, you know, who, who still deal, even as believers, we still deal with sin in our lives. He says, you people, if, if you are going to come and do something good for your children, if your child asks for a fish, you're not going to give him um, a snake, you know, or if, if he asks for an egg, you're not going to give him a scorpion. And if, you know, he says, if you know how to do that, how much more do you think your good, loving, heavenly father is going to do for you when you ask for something? Then he says something interesting right there at the end. He says, if you then, <clears throat> being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Well, you might first of all think, hey, He wanted bread. He didn't want the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. What He's doing here is that He will give you not only the gift, but the giver. He will give you not only the gift, but the giver of the gift. And so the idea is come and ask for whatever is in your heart. Rush into God's presence whenever you want to. He's not offended by that. Be persistent. And in the process of all of that, he's going to give you the giver. 
Now, he doesn't just give the gift. He gives the giver because everything comes from the work of the Holy Spirit. Everything comes from the work of the Holy Spirit. And when the Lord gave you the Holy Spirit, he gave you everything. He gave you everything. He gave you himself. First Corinthians, I'm sorry, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. Now that tells us that it is the life that prays. It is walking in that relationship of communication and openness with the Father, seeking to do His will. Um, so let's go back to where we started. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Fervent, we usually take that word in our language to mean we're going to jack it up, soup it up, build it up, you know, holler a little louder. Uh, work a little harder, but fervent in the original language means we do not quit easily. We do not quit easily. It means we cry out to the Father. Sometimes we may cry out in tears, but we keep on crying out. We ask and keep on asking. And so we don't quit easily. We don't just ask him and then walk off and wonder what he, wonder what he might do. It is an engagement with God to deal with him, to keep on asking, to keep on looking, to watch for him, to watch what he's doing and to see him act on an account uh, in relationship to what we're asking him for. The sixth hindrance <coughs> is undealt with sin. Undealt with sin. And this is huge. Um, Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 says, your sins have hid his face from you. Your sins have hid his face from you. Psalm 66, verse 18, always pricked my heart, says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. In other words, if I'm holding on to sin, the Lord's not going to hear my prayer. So regarding iniquity in my heart means that there is some sin that I still kind of like, that I still kind of want to hold on to, that I might just kind of wink at it on the side and kind of keep it under the, under the radar here. And so those kinds of sins I tend to excuse. I tend to rationalize it. But somehow I hold it. And let's call it protected sin. Protected sin. Now, mind you, God hates all sin. So when I start trying to protect sin, when I start trying to hold on to just a little bit of sin because it's still, ooh, it's still attractive to me, then God's not going to hear me. God's not going to hear me. There may, they may be sins in my thought life. They may be secret sins. They may be sins of commission. They may be sins of omission. But let's talk about some of those. Go back. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, according to James, righteousness will ensure effective prayer. Righteousness will ensure effective prayer. Now, God's standard for righteousness is different from ours. God's standard for righteousness has to do with God can look directly into our hearts. So it's not just a matter of what we do. It's a matter of what is that that's in my heart that caused me to do that? 
And that's what God's looking at. And so nothing hinders prayer like protected sin. Nothing hinders prayer like protected sin. Sure that, that when we're saved, the righteousness of Christ is imparted to us. It is given to our account in heaven, it's on the books, that we have the righteousness of Christ and he imparts the Holy Spirit to us. So he imparts his righteousness, but that righteousness that's within us is there to produce, let's call it practical righteousness. It's going to work itself out. The righteousness that's within me is going to show up in my behavior. That's what God is looking for. That's where, that's how we show who Christ is to the world by that righteousness being worked out by showing up, by becoming practical. Now there are three, I think there are more than three. I, I think I got that wrong here in my notes. Let's just say that there are some very common undealt with sins, I think. I know that these are sins that for me, for a lot of us, a lot of people that I share with, these are sins sometimes that are hard to give up because we can't excuse them. We feel like they're justified. The first one is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. The sin of resentment or uh, the sin of bitterness or just, just something like holding a grudge. Let's just call it unforgiveness. And, and this is such a huge topic in prayer and what the scriptures teach about prayer, we'll probably spend a whole lesson on that uh, pretty soon because the relationship between forgiveness and prayer in the word of God is stunning. It's stunning. Um, Mark 11, 25, Jesus is speaking and he says to the disciples, and, and this is following <clears throat> the information, the teaching that he gave them when he gave the model prayer. And, and he says, when you stand praying, forgive. When you stand praying, forgive. When means whenever, whenever, without exception. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. Now, all of us have had hurts. And sometimes it's very difficult to forget the hurt even when you want to release forgiveness in that situation. And so that's something that I've struggled to learn how to do. What does this mean? How does this work? Does it make the hurt go away? No. But we're going to talk in a lesson one day about what, what it really means to forgive somebody. And for right now, let's just say, I'm not going to hold it against them. What I'm going to do is I'm going to let God take care of it. I'm going to transfer the right that I want to have to pay back to the Lord and let him take care of it. I've made that transfer. And so he says, we've got to be conscious of our own sinfulness. But one of the sins, one of the sins that's going to keep us from having powerful prayer lives is the sin of unforgiveness, wanting to hold on because we feel like we've got a right because what they did was wrong. Second thing that is very common for undealt with sins because I don't know always that we even know we've got them and that's idols, idols. An idol is anything or anyone who takes a place of priority in our lives over the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> it can be someone we love. It can be an activity. Um, it can be something that we own. But when 
we see ourselves pushing the Lord Jesus and his plan aside for another person or another thing, that is idolatry. And I'm afraid that what happens to us sometimes is that we become so accustomed to that that we don't really know that it's sin. We don't recognize it. We don't see what it's doing to the heart of God. The next one is pride. Pride. All independence is pride. Pride is when I look at God and say, I've got this. I've got this. Adam and Eve stepped out of dependence on God into independence. That's what created this whole mess. And we do the same thing when we realize pride is that self in us that presses for our independence. And what did the devil tell Adam and Eve? You will be as gods. You will be as gods. You will be on top. You will be able to make your own decision. What a mess. What a mess. And so we carry that. We think that there's some things that we can do that we don't really need God for. You know, God said, apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. Nothing. Just say nothing out loud. Nothing. And so we tend, though, to march on. We've got a plan. And so we're going to do this and we're going to ask God to bless it. And, and maybe he will and maybe he won't. But we've got this. And we can produce this. And so, so much of what happens to us is that we place more value in activity than we place on prayer. We would a whole lot rather be busy in a committee meeting making something happen than we would rather be in prayer before the Lord asking Him what He wants and how He wants to make it happen and being confident that we can hear Him when He speaks pride. The next one, I told you I had more than three. This would be number four. Don't let it mess up the other numbers I, if you're taking notes. Fourth one is unbelief. Unbelief. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Impossible. Without faith. Faith and prayer are inseparable. We're going to talk about that on another day as well. But faith and prayer are inseparable. One does not exist without the other. If you have faith, you're going to pray. If you're going to pray, you have faith. They go together. They're like flip sides of the same coin. Andrew Murray, a great writer about prayer, great prayer, said, the prayer of faith comes from a life of faith. So our prayer life is just born out of how we live. Faith is not believing something is going to happen. Faith is believing God. It's believing God. It's believing that He is who He says He is. He will do what He says He will do. And He will engage us in performing His will. Faith. And so prayer and unbelief, mm-mm. So unbelief is going to keep our prayers from being answered. Oh, number five, thought life. Thought life. I wonder if you're like me and would be 
afraid or what's the word, embarrassed for all of my thoughts in a day to show up on a screen for the whole world to see. Well, God sees all of them. Um, Isaiah 55 and verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So unrighteousness is tied to our thought life. Well, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So you've got righteousness, and that's going to mean that our thought life's in order. In that practice, even if nobody else knows it, my thoughts are surrendered to the Lord. We are only as pure as our thought lives are pure. And I'll tell you right now, you know, I'll just confess to you, there are times when I, you know, in situations and in my mind, I'd like just like to slap somebody. And that's not godly, righteous thought life. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5 talks about cast down reasonings and imaginations, bringing every thought, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We're so good in our society and in our efforts to reason through things, and we reason with man's reasonings. So the, the issue is not how well can I reason. The issue is how, how well can I get before the Lord and get His reason, His instruction. And so all sin starts in the mind. So the fact that I might want to slap somebody sometimes means that that could be a seed for murder on down the road. All sin starts as a thought. And then that thought grows. And when I don't take that thought and let the Lord take it captive, let it bring it to the obedience of Christ so that even in that moment, I pray, Lord, let me think about this person the way you think about him. Remove my own reaction. Remove my sinfulness. You fill my mind with what your thought is and what needs to be said and done in this place. Thought life. Our thought lives are hindrances to powerful prayer. Another hindrance to powerful prayer is lack of intimacy with the Father. Just being close to Him being real with him, being uh, transparent with him. Sure, he already knows, but when I tell him what I know about me, I'm just agreeing with him, and he knows I'm thinking about it, and he knows that anyway. Who's it for? It's for me. It's for me. It changes me. And so intimacy with the Father means that I know his voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and know me, and they follow me. So knowing his voice, um, knowing his ways, recognizing his movements, um, gazing on him, just having that time with him where he is precious to you and you realize that you are precious to him. Intimacy with the Father. The next hindrance is failure to ground our prayers in the Word of God. Failure to ground our prayers in the Word of God. We know the will of God from the Word of God. 
If we don't know the word of God, then we don't know the will of God. And so our prayers need to be grounded in the word of God instead of prayers being rooted in self and in human reasoning and personal desires, we must give God a chance to show us what's on his heart. What's on his heart? What is he thinking? So that sometimes when I sit before the Lord, I I just say to him, what's on your mind today? What's on your heart? What do you want me to hold before you today? What are you thinking? How do you see what's going on in the world? How do you see me? How do you see my heart? So we share those things together and we ground our prayers in the word of God, in the character of God that's revealed in his word, in the promises of God that are revealed in his word, in the instructions in the word of God as to how we're to pray and what it's going to take to pray powerful prayers. All of those things. Number nine is failure to let the Holy Spirit direct and energize our prayers. Failure to let the Holy Spirit direct and energize our prayers. And that's just when I get before the Lord and say, you know, I'm, you know, what is it that you want me to pray? Holy Spirit, I have no power. God doesn't give us our power. God uses us as conduits for his power. And so when the Holy Spirit is within us, he's going to lead us and teach us. He's going to lead us into truth and all things. And he's going to, we just ask him when we begin to pray, Holy Spirit, show me what I need to pray. How do I do do this? Now, I'm going to tell you what, when I finished writing all this down, I looked at this list and I thought, this is overwhelming. And your next thought may be, I'll never be able to get all that. I'll never be able to get those things right. I'll never be able to pray. Powerful prayers. If it takes all of that, I can't get all of that together. And so right there, Satan's done his work. So what do I do instead of believing that lie? Because if it were not possible, the Lord would not have told us. So what do I do? What do I do next when I get to that place and I think, my goodness, I can't do that. Do this. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. Lord, show me my heart as you see it. What do you want to change in me? What what sin do you see in me that you want me to agree with you about? And that's what I do. When I confess my sin, I'm not just admitting it. When I confess my sin, then I'm agreeing with God that it's awful and I need to get rid of it. Especially those pet sins. Lord, where are the pet sins? Where are the sins in my life that I have habitually done for so long that I don't even recognize them anymore? Where are the attitudes that I carry that are not according to your mind and thoughts? But I'm so used to them, they don't bother me. Lord, show me those things. Show me my heart as you see it. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take one thing at a time. Because you know what God really wants is your heart. And when we come to him with a heart that says, Lord, I want to do all this, but he's going to help me and he's going to take one thing at the time. I'm going to take one thing at the time just as it comes up in the next step, knowing that Jesus himself ever liveth 
to make intercession for us. He's praying for us. He's praying for you. So I take this and I hold it before the Lord and I say, make my heart like your heart. Show me the plan that you have for me. Show me the next step. Help me to walk with my gaze set on you, trusting that you will take me and cause me to be more like Jesus. Psalm 139, verses 33 and 34 is a great prayer to pray. I want to close our time together today by praying this prayer. Join me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. See you next time. And we're going to look at the prayer life of the Lord Jesus. God bless you.